Hey friends, Coach Shelby and Coach Christine, and we are excited to have you join us for Time for Brunch Quick Bites Edition, where you can grab your movement with a side of smiles and take them on the run midday, in the afternoon, or a late night snack attack. As you have seen, we love running, clearly. So it isn't surprising that we're having another boom in the running world. We're seeing records being broken, barriers being crushed, and of course, an evolution that comes with the changing of the time and tides. So if you're anything like us, you've wondered what was popular, how do we get here, and well, we know how we got here. We put on our shoes and, you know, one foot in front of the other. We get that concept. But we're going to see in our four-part series a deep dive into the history of running. But obviously, don't worry, we're going to be sharing some fun facts, drop some knowledge, maybe have a few fun battles in between, and we'll skip all the boring stuff that high school covered. But while well, last week we did a brief history from the BCE times and the 50s and 60s, we saw Katherine Switzer take down the man and led to the running boom for women. But go ahead and we're going to tackle the 70s and the 80s in today's episode, which I feel like default, Coach Christine, the 80s are going to be your favorite. I mean, we'll talk about that. Let's first tackle what you feel is your favorite, those 70s. But before we get into that, I want to send a message to Mr. Armstrong, my junior high history teacher. I did not think any of your things were boring. Um, Just Coach Shelby did, evidently, but neither here nor there. (laughs) Neither here nor there. We will skip the boring stuff because you guys have plenty of places to find that. We're going to talk about what we love here, which is, of course, all things running and a little bit of food, a lot of food. A lot of food. Before we get into that, so when we get into the 70s, this is maybe why it's your favorite. I don't know if you knew this. This is where we could actually start to call it the official advent of the running boom. That's not why it's my favorite, but I'll take it. Yeah, Tell let's, me more. But I will. <laughs> so basically, there was a really great book that came out during the 70s. It was the complete book of running. It ended up being published in 1977. But prior to that, there was a few different publications about the wonderful aspect of aerobics um, that had come out in the late 60s. And that helped to really kind of turn the tides where people were like, maybe I'm sitting too much as I commute in and out of the office or, you know, all the common day problems that we have today. And they decided to take up what was termed jogging. And I had that in air quotes and Lily did air quotes because I know some of our runners hate that phrase. Me? But you do? I don't. I, I'm not a big fan of the whole jogging. I, I don't care. It, it Lily doesn't. That's don't, fine. Don't care about my feelings. It's okay. I'll I, just cry myself back to the 70s. I don't care if anybody calls me a jogger is what I meant. Like that's just, <laughs> that's the least of my concerns, my friends. As long again as I am able to get an invitation to dinner, I am good to go. But that's neither here nor there. So we saw the advent of it's lower cost. It's got lower barriers to getting laced up. And I'm very cautious of saying that. I don't want to say that it's free or cheap or low cost or that there are no barriers because we now know that's not the case, but it was a lower barrier entry, lower cost, probably at that time too, to get into it. So we really started to see where people got laced up and got out there. Yeah. They all left behind those vibrating belt machines from the fifties that were super popular and decided to actually move forward. And they saw the growing awareness for, you know, being healthy, having that Mm -hmm. physical health, taking fitness into account. So there was actually a book that was published in the 60s, 1968, by Dr. Kenneth H. Cooper called Aerobics. And it played a significant role in popularizing jogging, health benefits, and, you know, a 
all of that jazz, all of that important things that we now know, uh, duh. Yeah. <laughs> so what we also saw that was super duper great about that time is that we also saw that a lot more cities started to host 5Ks, 10Ks, all those differences, more marathon races, that they saw it as an opportunity for people to set personal fitness goals and compete in a friendly fashion. Um, we also started to see that kind of the Olympics and the success of American distance runners in the international field really inspired folks to get laced up and get out there. So I'm not going to pretend to tackle the Olympics when I know these are your people, my friend. So tell me more about who, who was influencing me. What Whose posters would you have had at your wall that was like inspiring you to get laced up? Well, I'm going to start first and foremost, because again, we saw a lot more women coming into mm -hmm. the running circle. So one predominant athlete was Joan Benoit Samuelson. I mean, again, right there with Katherine Switzer, one of the pillars of women's running specifically. And, you know, there were some men too. Frank Shorter and Bill Rogers were also part of the predominant athletes of that time. But let's get back to Joan Benoit Samuelson because she still is such a pillar in the running world. To where uh, I don't see Bill or Frank there. I am coach. I know I'm going to be mean. I'm sorry. I'm going timeout. <laughs> it's okay, friend. Come back out of timeout. We want you here with us. But we also saw um, Greta Waits from that time as well. So lots of incredible people, maybe not Olympics at that point. She was doing more of like the NYC marathon wins because, you know, like that's not nothing to sneeze at for sure. <laughs> but absolutely amazing. We got to really, as you mentioned, see women turn the tide at that point and really for us get us see make it possible for younger girls to approach this so i think this is a time where when i think of the running phase and craze and boom we started to see more couples running together in their like suburban worlds we started to see more people actually getting together for running clubs it became more social it became more of a community aspect more of a, a pillar of how to integrate all the aspects of neighbor neighborhoodness and also that aspect of getting out for some physicality. So really exciting to see that as well. We also get to see that this is where some of like the technology starts to change, specifically with our running gear and shoes. Mm -hmm. Definitely took a little bit of a step up and more running specific apparel was made. It became more comfortable and accessible to take up in a recreational activity. And part of that too, I do think was helped out by the fact that media coverage of running events were becoming more prominent. And in the 70s, the New York City Marathon, as well as other major races were starting to be covered by the media sources. And again, monkey see, monkey do, we see something, we wanna be part of it. Mm -hmm. And it just breeds that interest in not only a sport, but in a whole culture. And there's a lot of cool little tidbits to be had about the New York City Marathon over on that World Marathon Majors Quick Bites. If you guys are new to us here, go check that out. And of course, as we're recording this, we know that we have lots of people gearing up for New York City Marathon. So we're excited to cheer you on as well. While we are rocking and rolling in the 70s, or I guess not rocking or rolling, not cruising, because that was the 50s and 60s. Um, we'll get more to that later on. <laughs> but we also had, of course, with that official big New York City attention, we have all these incredible folks that are pioneering it. We have also a little bit more attention on fueling and hydration. So with that, 
there was limited access still. It wasn't the plethora of options that we have today, but definitely a huge step up from the 50s where people were maybe having a little bit of water, maybe having a little bit of like uh, watered down fruit juice. And we start to actually see at the races where there were water stations or there were at least the possibility of uh, people knowing that they had to be self-sufficient to plan for their hydration and fueling. Right. And while this isn't running specific, we can't talk about the 70s without talking about the passage of Title IX in 1972, helping promote gender equality in sports and, again, leading to more opportunities for women to be part of distance running. I'm going to say that this is probably why it's one of my favorite decades, because that woman power definitely was was coming in, was, was peaking into the little the little arena that was once only a boys club. So I want to talk about that because we mentioned the average finishing times for the previous decades. Let's get into that. So as we mentioned previously at episode one of this series, where we tackled the 50s and 60s, we didn't really have a lot of data that we could pinpoint as to what were the average finishing times for women. But here in the good old 70s, we get to have quite a bit more data on that for female perspective. So I'm excited about it. From the elite standpoint, we're still seeing the marathoners coming in around two hours and 15 minutes. We know that record was set um, just in the previous decade, but they're still coming in around that time. We see competitive amateur male runners finishing between two hours and 30 minutes to three hours. And then we have recreational male runners with a wide range of finishing times. We still see that to this day, of course, but completing marathons kind of closer to four hours and maybe even a little longer with women. We run the world. Yes, you go, my friend. (laughs) I, I can't take this from you. You go. So with elite female marathoners coming into play, their typical finishing time was around two hours and 40 minutes, sometimes slightly faster. Mm -hmm. The competitive amateur runners were at about 3.15 to 3.45, somewhere comfortably in that range. And us recreational runners went again in about that four hours or a little bit over. So again, comparable with some differences, but don't worry. We uh, we speed up a little bit. Yeah, don't you worry. We do. We get to see that quite a bit of a change. Um, again, it's it's very exciting to see that as we continue to roll through all of these decades. So a little bit of running gear. We did not include that specifically in the previous episodes because there wasn't a. Again, there, people would just get dressed, go out for a run. Now we're actually seeing where you can go and get specific clothing for running shoes, running or specific clothing for your running gear. And of course, we're breaking out the headbands and the sweatbands for managing all that extra sweat. We're getting into a little bit of moisture wicking. Um, not quite as much as maybe today, but we're making strides. Haha, <laughs> pun intended. <laughs> yes, but they did have those good old cotton shirts, which... I, mean, I still have a few race shirts that are cotton shirts that come my way still. I mean, no, I get it. We Low won't cost. judge. It was a different time. <laughs> they're they're good for some things, but maybe you could use the cotton t-shirt as you bust a move to some of the greatest songs in the 70s, which the Osmonds. I know Aww. everybody loves the Osmonds, Glenn Campbell, The Clash, Temptations, Wild Cherry. I mean, play that funky music was, don't even tell me you don't know that song. I do know that she, song. Oh, I bet that she's giving me song. a look, folks. I love that song. It is. It's a good song. Yeah, it is. I'm, I'm with you. I'm I'm grooving to all these. I'm definitely, all right. I'm standing in line. What about the line. Bee Gees? 
I'm not standing in line to see them, but I, ABBA, I, I'm definitely down for ABBA. I, I mean, all I care about is getting glammed up and going to Studio 54. But, but okay, we'll, we'll keep going there. We keep going there, which is exactly one of the most popular hobbies that kind of had the advent at this time. It was disco dancing. The disco craze was in full swing during the 70s and people flocked to discotheques. I even love the fact that they called it discotheques. Um, I mean, again, talk about the hip movements. It was yeah. all about the mobility. We just didn't know it. Yeah. Ooh, I think that we should add some disco dancing to our cross training. Um, You're welcome, that. final surge athletes. <laughs> With that said, there were a few other hobbies, too, that maybe started to make an appearance that weren't quite so popular. They weren't mainstream prior decades. We started to see skateboarding. It has a popularity of a surge during the 70s. We see a lot of young people like taking it up and building homemade skate ramps. Um, and I could see where running and skateboarding would have some mutual cross-training benefits. I just would be fearful of anybody getting hurt before a race. But okay. Say, homemade ramps don't, yeah. really, don't really speak to me. But, but I hear if you were skateboarding and going to disco, you were the bee's knees. I think I am the bee's knees. And we actually see this as a resurgence of some of the lexicon that we used from earlier decades. So while we didn't touch on the 20s, the bee's knees was hearkened back from the 20s and brought into a more popular time of the 70s. While you had all that disco tech outfit going on, you may have been a little a little funky in a good way. Yeah, right. I I still say you're the bee's knees and far out. And another per- popular one was right on. Right on. I'm totally right. down. Oh, I should substitute my love it to right on. I'm going to try. We'll see. Ooh, that's totally <laughs> not going to stick, but I like your enthusiasm. Because <laughs> you're supposed to believe in me when I don't believe in myself. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I have to wonder, while we're going to the disco, while we're getting down with our bad selves, what are Mm -hmm. we snacking on? Girl, I'm definitely having Black Forest cake. There's no doubt about it. I've never had it, but I will tell you, there's there's not a cheese ball that I've ran into that I have not liked. I love cheese balls. I love to giggle at you saying cheese balls, Um, but I do... (laughs) I do love me some cheese too. I just don't necessarily need it molded into a ball form, but hey, you know, it was what we were having in the 70s. We're also having some Danish go-rounds. Um, did those make it? I don't feel like I've seen a Danish go-round ever. I have no idea, but the next one on the list, deviled eggs. I am famous for my deviled eggs. I make such good deviled eggs, even though I don't eat eggs anymore. They are always requested when I go to gatherings. I mean, I'm going to request that for the next time we meet in person. Like, literally, I love me some deviled eggs, which made their way across the Atlantic from Spain and across Europe, which actually goes to show that at this time, we're starting to see a little bit more, I wouldn't say a full rampant globalization like we do in today's day and age. But at that time, we're starting to see a lot more of those other cultures being brought into our everyday here life here in the U.S., including our running. So that's what I love to see is how it can be such food and running to me are like the best ways to like cross boundaries and languages. Well, I say if we're going to go ahead and get down, we're going to get a little funky and move this beat right on to your favorite decade. I mean, I... The decade that the world became whole, Christine. Yes, I think so. There was a little piece of the world missing until... 1980 came along and that's exactly when I graced the pages. Um, I'm sure my mom feels very differently about that whole experience, but neither here nor there. This is where we start to see like an absolute dominance of distance running. And we're seeing like, okay, 
It is super popular. Everybody is getting into it because all the cool kids are doing it. So we see like the running boom, but on steroids. And of course, this is where we see that not only is it having media placement, but we're starting to see that there's actually companies, big companies that are starting to sponsor it. There's financial incentives for athletes to compete in Excel. Talking again, back to those previous decades where so many of those athletes that were dedicated to the sport, they were making pennies, if even. And here we're actually see where they're, they're able to maybe actually supplement their lifestyles to a certain degree because of those sponsorships. We're seeing advancements in training. This is where like science really comes into play and of course makes us all better and stronger and a little Daft Punk there. There's more international competitions that we get to have more eyes on, as I mentioned with that globalization previously. And we start to get into, again, more of like the elites. Like we have a plethora of elites. So coach, tell me more about those elites from that time. So yeah, it definitely produced a crop of exceptional distance runners. Sebastian Poe, Steve Ovitt, Carl Lewis, Mary Decker Slanley, Ingrid Christensen, and again, Joan Benoit Samuelson, all hey. setting numerous records and I mean, doing amazing things with the dis- distance, which obviously they were having a leg up. They were being paid. They were getting different training. There was more research going into it. And let's be honest. Everybody on the back end saw the money that could be made from this sport. And when money is to be made, you're going to be seeing a whole lot more of it. And that's where, again, the media coverage really came into play. Television broadcasts and seeing, again, these amazing people doing amazing things, setting these records. It just makes more sense for there to be training facilities. And you start seeing it globally more and more becoming a thing. Cha-ching! And it's all about that exactly that kind of drives that fuel uh, for for the elites, at least. And again, that kind of does make its way through into popular every single day life. But there's also where we we get to see less of a focus of coaching expertise that had previously been dedicated to track and field starting to actually come more into play for those long distances. So love to see that where they're getting nurtured and they're getting some really good resources at their dispensal. So this is what gave way to the marathon craze of the 80s. And that's what also created the growth of some of our personal favorite aspects of running. And that's charity marathons where people actually wanted to combine their mileage and their everyday runs and these races with giving back to organizations and raising awareness for charitable causes. And talking about history making, the 80s, specifically 1984, was when Joan Benoit Samuelson actually won the first ever Olympics marathon, which was actually on U.S. soil in Los Angeles. Incredible. So exciting. Seriously. Right? Oh, it truly is. So we're also seeing that this time, because there are more eyes, dollars behind it, we're starting to see there's actual fueling and hydration strategies. I mean, we're learning so much more still even to this day and it changes and evolves, but we're actually starting to see people consuming bananas, hello bananas, oranges, they're getting sports drinks in, they're getting some basic source of carbohydrates, they're getting water at aid stations at the races, which again, sometimes there were previous races where you had to be a bit more self-sufficient. Sports drinks weren't still quite common there. And that may not, and again, when we talk about global races, that's 
not always the case in global races either, but still, Mm -hmm. um, electrolyte replacement products, nutrition science was starting to really advance during this period. So we're, we're, we're putting a lot, we're learning a lot, we're booming a lot. So let's talk about some clothes coach. What am I wearing back into my eighties little inspired running outfit? (laughs) I mean, I think we've all seen the stereotypical eighties runs to where everything is a little a little, a little different, but um, they definitely went ahead and embraced lightweight, breathable singlets became a big thing, as well as T-shirts. And we saw shoes getting a little bit cushionier. Mm. Women's attire obviously got a step up. We saw sports bras become more widely available. Colorful tank tops, again, shorts, tights, all of that. And the socks were not just those plain white socks that you saw everywhere they were getting a little bit more into the modern models they were starting to have a little bit different blends different materials again making sure that you can't just go out and be healthy you gotta capitalize on all the gear that you can have with it i'm rocking some neon i'm gonna get my side pony going on i am ready for my 80s themed run my friend i get my scrunchie but what is more important is that i can't wait to hear what kind of songs i'm gonna cue on up into my cassette player but before we get into that we could not necessarily talk about this without getting into average marathon finishing times because my friends this is when we start to see a bigger shift and i think externally when you first hear these numbers it doesn't sound like that big of a shift But when you've actually tried to run a PR and you realize that like it's seconds long, Mm -hmm. like, and it makes a huge difference. So we see the elite starting to, the elite male marathon runners are starting to finish in two hours and 10 minutes to again, like a buffer of two hours and 20 minutes. So about shaving off about five minutes from the previous decade, competitive amateur males are doing about 2.30 to three hours. So maybe not as big of a difference as the elites, but still stepping it back a little bit. And then the recreational mill runners, again, about four hours, which, again, is, is still similar. Yep. Well, and then the elite female runners, again, having more access, more availability. We see them going to about two and a half hours to 240. Competitive amateur female runners are about 315 to 345. And of course, we have the recreational runners bringing up at about that four minutes, which seems to be kind of the comfort spot for a lot of the stats coming in. Mm -hmm. But let's not let's not even try to pretend that those finish line parties were all set to eye of the tiger. I mean, they better be in my world when I'm heading back to the 80s. With us. <laughs> if I'm going to rock a side pony, I really want eye of the tiger at that finish line. But tell me if just in case they're not playing eye of the tiger, what else should I queue up into my Walkman? There are literally too many to even begin to. We have Queen, we have Billy Joel, we have Paul McCartney, Michael Jackson, Aerosmith, uh, Eddie Rabbit, Stevie Wonder, Cool in the Gang. There are so many. Bob Seeger. I feel like I lost you. You did lose me. Like, I, nobody's running to Bob Seeger. But just in general, we have the Eagles, <laughs> Casey and the Sunshine Band, Doobie Brothers. Wait, why are we not talking about one of my nearest and dearest favorite things that came out of the 80s, which is rap music. And hello, congratulations, rap music. Happy birthday. We love celebrating 40 years of having you in our lives. Um, So yeah, rap music was going to definitely go down in my Walkman. But again, we're seeing a lot of things coming out of 
the 80s. We're seeing a lot of diversity in our music, diversity in our options. And we're also seeing a little bit of some extra aerobics crazes in our hobbies. So people aren't just lacing up to go for a run. They're also getting in some jazzercise. Oh my gosh. I love little neon tights. Little I mean, That's we're doing. We're both doing like a little jog. Yeah, I want yeah. to belt too. Well, we can, and that'll come in handy when we head on over for our roller skating party, because again, roller skating became really popular in the 80s. Um, And I, gosh, do you remember going to the roller skating rink for all those parties? Because I definitely did. Um, Christine, I'm still not born yet. Okay. Do they still have (laughs) roller skating rinks when you came, when you hatched, my friend? Because if not, I feel sad for you. Um, I don't think so. Wave. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, friends, it's okay because something that they had back in the 80s and they still have to this day, granted, a oh gosh, talk about differences. Video gaming came to the forefront. So any of you folks that are doing a little bit of throwback Thursdays and breaking out your Ataris, maybe some Donkey Kong or some Miss Pac-Man or one of my favorites, Joust, um, that was quite popular of a hobby back in the 80s. But I want to hear about the food, my friends. Because oh. um, one of the sayings was, where's the beef? And that's exactly what I want to know. What, what was I eat? What, what were the foods that we could expect from the 80s? We were having some sloppy Joes, which, fun fact, the there is commercial beef, I hope. for Manwich is okay. actually a staple quote in my house because my dad always quotes it. A sandwich is a sandwich, but a Manwich is a meal. That literally has been like our family motto for as long as I can remember. And I'm sorry to tell you, fondue was still really popular, as well as my husband's favorite dish, beef stroganoff. What? Okay, beef stroganoff, I get. Um, Sloppy Joe's, I get, for the record, super convenient and actually a pretty great staple for a post-run, not maybe a post-run meal, but to include that in your diet because it is super easy to make, um, very protein heavy. But again, why are you guys wanting to go to fondue restaurants and paying good money to cook your food? Because it's delicious. And they even started brunching with quiche Lorraine in the 80s too. Uh, Okay, well, brunching, of course, important, but I still want my quiche actually cooked for me. I don't want to have to necessarily make it if I'm paying good money for it. But um, all of these dishes are delicious. I'm not taking that away. They weren't- do you just want your MTV? I do just want my MTV. So I will say that I was of the great generation of video, music video length attention span. So thank you three to four minutes and maybe some of the 90s where they got into those epic long music videos about eight or 10 minutes long. But I loved MTV. I think it was such a fun time for music. I thought it was totally tubular, friend. (laughs) Well, if you're listening to this and saying, what's the damage, then we promise there is no damage. We're just going through all the decades and giving them all the corndog love that you can stand. So friends, we want to thank you again for joining us with this series of Running Through the Decades, where we've explored in episode one, the 50s and 60s, and a little bit beforehand, this episode 70s and 80s. We're going to bring it on back next Wednesday for that midweek quick bites, where it's going to be the 90s. Coach Shelby's doing a little bit of a celebratory dance there because she gets to join us. And all of us out here. And we're going to then go on to the 2000s as well. Because again, we start to see some really great strides and changes of science. And those records start to kind of fall. Can't wait to share them with you all. But beyond that, you can also join us at our long brunch that drops on Friday. Friends, we can't wait to see you. Because regardless of when, even what decade or where, we're going to keep serving up more miles with 
totally tubular smiles.